Blog Talk Radio. show is sponsored by the Appleseed Project, which is a project brought about by the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. The Revolutionary War Veterans Association is dedicated to honoring those men and women who stood together on April 19, 1775, to bring about the beginning of this new nation, to bring about this Uh, the wonderful experiment in freedom and liberty. I'd like to welcome everyone to the show tonight. Uh, We have uh, as our guest this evening Mr. Jim Tomes uh, from the Second Amendment Patriots in Indiana. Uh, He'll be calling in in just a little while. Uh, We're going to speak to him about the uh, Second Amendment Patriots, what they do, how the program is running in Indiana, and then also about his uh, uh, his future bid for the uh, a position uh, in the Indiana State Senate. First off, let's talk about the shoots uh, this month in December. <clears throat> Beginning this next week, we have the weekend of December 12th and 13th. And that will start off with right here in Austin, Texas, at the Austin Rifle Club. This will be the first time that we've had an event at the Austin Rifle Club uh, in Austin, Texas. And we would like to uh, to put on a really good show. I believe there's about uh, 30 or plus uh, 
folks registered for the event already, but there's room for 50. So you guys keep uh, keep getting registered for the event, and uh, let's do it. Let's have a bang up shoot on the 12th and 13th. This is kind of an audition for us uh, to see if uh, the Alpseed Project and the Austin Rifle Club uh, can uh, coexist there at the uh, at the range. And uh, we're sure that we can. We're sure that we can be beneficial uh, for each other. The uh, the next location is Castle Rock, Washington. This is also the uh, weekend of December 12th and 13th. Colebrook, Connecticut. Corona, California. Mayaca, Florida. Peru, California. Ramsar, North Carolina. Red Bluff, California. Sacramento, California. St. Augustine, Florida. Sherburn, Louisiana. Stinson, West Virginia. Tocoa, Georgia. Yanceyville, North Carolina. Those are all the weekend of December 12th and 13th. That brings us to the weekend of December 19th and 20th. And that will get started in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Also that weekend, El Paso, Texas. Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Sierra Vista, Arizona. And that brings us to the weekend of the 26th and 27th. And that is Davila, Texas, December 26th and 27th. El Paso Community College, in El Paso, Texas, December 26th and 27th. Now, I see a listing on here. Somebody has snuck one in on me here trying to get the last day of the year. And it says Calverton, New York, December 27th and 28th. Hmm. We'll see about that. All right, that brings us to the first uh, weekend in January 2010. That will be Austin, Texas, January 9th and 10th, Corona, California, Peterborough, New Hampshire, Hubertus, Wisconsin. That will bring us to the second weekend, which is uh, the 16th and 17th, which will be Fresno, California, Kingman, Arizona, Mayaca City, Florida, North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Piru, California. The next weekend after that is the January 23rd, 24th weekend. These events will be held in Lemoore, California, Ramsar, North Carolina, Sacramento, California. <clears throat> then, on the 30th and 31st, of January is Buckeye, Arizona. Now, <clears throat> keep looking back because there are going to be more events are going to be sandwiched in as we go along. So make sure that you keep uh, looking back and checking on the uh, on the schedule. <clears throat> All right. I. Uh, Got my chat to open up. Thank goodness. <clears throat> so hello everyone there in the uh, the online chat program. If you want to uh, participate in the online chat, 
All you have to do is go to uh, Blog Talk Radio and uh, do a quick registration. Uh, just a few simple questions. And then uh, you can participate in the online chat. And I want to thank all the folks in the online chat for uh, all the work that they do. <clears throat> Say hi to uh, uh, Aromatic, uh, Dry Fire, Hawkhaven, Metalbots, Bit Thickler, Tecris, and Devirnal. Uh, Devnal. All right. <clears throat> We're going to, uh, as I said, we're going to have Mr. Tomes from Second Amendment Patriots. Uh, we'll be calling in to uh, speak with us about his group and what they do, what they've uh, been doing in Indiana. Uh, I would like to, uh, until then, I think I'm going to try and sneak in the uh, the last strike of the match, a quick version of it. Uh, I wanted to do that last Thursday. And uh, I guess it got to about uh, 5.30, and uh, the uh, my girls, I'm sure, not sure you, I've ever told you guys how this works, but usually on uh, Tuesday nights, <clears throat> my wife is the uh, president of the Bell County Junior League, and uh, she has a general membership meeting on those nights. So she's, all, she's usually always gone. That leaves me here. Uh, with my five young daughters, and uh, and they're usually you know pretty good about uh, uh, not axe murdering each other uh, while the show's going on. But uh, it was starting to get cold last week, and we needed to get uh, some firewood. <clears throat> and uh, so we loaded up. Loaded up and uh, went to the, uh, I guess about three or four miles from here, went to the backfield where I have a, uh, a pecan tree that was struck by lightning. Cut the firewood, and uh, it was raining at the time, too, and then we got stuck in the mud. So we had a... Uh, a long walk back in the dark, and uh, they weren't very happy about that. And uh, by the time we got back, uh, it was already well past showtime. So I apologize for that. This is, I'm sure you probably know too, that this is not uh, some uh, uh, high powered radio station with a lot of employees and stuff. It's just me. And uh, on Tuesday nights, it's just me uh, babysitting the tribal members here. So <clears throat> so sometimes there's going to be some gaffes, and, uh, and what I would really like to do is split the, the radio program up into two nights. And uh, we continue, we'll continue to have guests uh, and on the Tuesday night shows. And then on the Thursday night shows... Uh, We'd like to have the technical, uh, the teaching, you know, the classes uh, running on the on the radio show, and uh, but I'm going to need some help with that. So, if anyone feels like they have uh, an excess of free time and they would like to get involved in the radio show and get involved with uh, with 
the instructional Thursday night, then uh, please uh, PM me or email me or give me a call, whatever. My number is, uh, my number, my email, etc. are all over the forum. There's no way you cannot, uh, you cannot see it. <clears throat> and uh, because I could sure use the help with that on the Thursdays, because what we'd like to do is get folks to uh, get folks to do the three strikes of the match. We'll just we can do you know uh, seven or eight versions of it. You know, seven or eight people doing their first, second, and third strike. <clears throat> we want to do calling the line. We want to do. Uh, uh, teaching the six steps, IMC, etc., etc. <clears throat> so if you're interested in helping me with uh, getting this set up or teaching one of the classes or, uh, over the radio, as I said, please uh, contact me and we'll start getting that set up. Also, <clears throat> one of the things that... Uh, I'm trying to keep from letting it slide away, is uh, the virtual muster night. And uh, I see Tekris is uh, in the chat room. So let's get a date set for that, and uh, let's just get it done. Let's get the uh, the date set. It'll have to be uh, after the new year, but uh, let's get the date set for that, and let's just get it started because... Uh, because it keeps getting pushed back, and I don't want it to disappear. All right. Last week we did the first and second strikes of the match. And those were the events that occurred at Lexington. And then later on at the North Bridge in Concord. <clears throat> when we left the the folks at Concord, the British had just suffered uh, a uh, pretty serious uh, boot in their hiney. They had been driven back across the North Bridge. They had been forced to retreat. They found nothing uh, of any consequence in the town. And Colonel Smith was in a quandary. What was he to do? Now, he had fulfilled his orders to search the town and uh, confiscate or destroy any materials of warfare. But he'd also engaged the colonials, the provincials, in battle. Now, what to do? Was he he supposed to uh, continue to engage them uh, to to have some type of decisive victory before he left? Or was he to just head back along Battle Road and get back to Boston? And what he finally decided, after approximately an hour of marching back and forth and back and forth, and I'm sure not being sure of what he should do, the decision was made to return to Boston, to get back, uh, matter of fact, as quickly as they could, because even he could see when he looked out upon the uh, the landscape all around him, he could see the hills alive with men under arms marching to Concord. Marching uh, uh, all over. I'm sure it looked a bit like uh, an ant bed that had been kicked open. 
with men everywhere running. I'm sure he decided the best thing that he could do was make it back to Boston as fast as possible. Remember that when his men left that day, they'd probably taken very little food, uh, very little rations. They had thrown most of the rations that they'd gotten away once they'd landed at Lechmere Point. Uh, the rations they had been provided with were uh, uh, pretty much uh, substandard rations that uh, had been sold to them by the uh, the naval admiral. Uh, he had made a profit by selling the rations to the uh, soldiers before they left. Also, they had only taken 36 uh, rounds of ammunition with them. So they had no uh, no resupply, no not much food, and they'd already fired quite a few rounds at Lexington and uh, at the North Bridge in Concord. The best thing for them to do was to take off, so they did. He got his men back up in the column. They started to uh, they head back to Boston. <clears throat> now, the first thing he did was he looked at the surrounding terrain, and he could see that. Uh, as he was leaving uh, Concord, that there was uh, uh, a ridge to his north, Arrowhead Ridge, that he needed to secure to keep uh, for anyone from attacking him. Now he did. He sent uh, column of flankers up. And they secured Arrowhead Ridge, and they kept that kept the provincials uh, from taking the high ground and firing down upon them. But the but the militia members simply beat it uh, cross-country. You know, they knew the trails. They knew the, the ways to get past it. They beat it to uh, uh, right around uh, Arrowhead Ridge and uh, made it to Merriam's Corner. And there, three regiments set up <clears throat> and waited for Smith's column <clears throat> And as he marched in, uh, the the flankers. I don't know if we uh, if I discussed this earlier before or not. But flankers, flankers are used to keep the enemy from getting too close to you. You know, if you have a column on the road, then uh, usually, uh, if you're in the, out in the open, it may be 100, uh, 150, 200 yards, whatever the uh, the optimum distance is to keep somebody from actually engaging you on your flank. You have uh, troops that are put out on the flank to keep folks from actually attacking the main column. And then if they do attack the main column, then the flankers can attack their flanks or into their rear and then trap them behind the uh, major columns and the uh, the flankers. But once they reached Marion's Corner, they had uh, kind of a it, – it was a very small stream, and – it's even smaller now. When you get there, you can see there's a, there's a stream that's probably eight, nine feet across. Now, it could have had uh, more water in it at this time of year back then, and it could have been a bigger stream back then. Uh, but uh, whenever the flanking troops got to Marin's Corner and they got to the stream, they pulled in to cross uh, over the bridge. Now, once they did, that left no flankers on either side, and the militia was already in place there. Now, as they're coming across, <clears throat> this time, 
whenever they came into sight. There was uh, there was no hard decision for the militia members to make, and they fired. Now, one of the folks who came on a little bit later said the road was uh, filled with blood and many bodies there at Merrim's Corner. A great many had been shot. The difference here was. At Lexington, uh, the North Bridge and Concord, the orders were not to fire until fired upon, and they they paid strict and close attention to those orders, and they did not fire. Even at the North Bridge, taking a great number of casualties before the order to fire was given. <clears throat> However, Merriam's Corner there was a difference, and that difference was the ideas, the attitudes had shifted. People finally uh, had made a determination that the things had changed and that they were basically uh, in a state of war with the regulars. Now, as we spoke earlier uh, last Tuesday about the first strike, the second strike, the third strike, and the reason that we call them that is because at Lexington, had the regulars turned around and, and marched back, then the revolution probably would not have started, at least not on that day. Uh, there would have been a great deal of, uh, of anger. Uh, there would have been some there would have been some resolution to it, but the revolution probably would not have started that day. Then again, at the North Bridge in Concord, you had the the British regulars taking the brunt of the killed and injured there by the men of Concord and uh, the men of their surrounding. Uh, towns and cities who had come to help them, and they had beaten the regulars and drove them off the bridge, forced them to retreat uh, pell-mell in disorder. So had they been able to leave then and get back in some way, the revolution probably wouldn't have started then because, you know, the the colonials had taken a beating at Lexington but they had given back much more than they had gotten at the North Bridge. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> that may have been it there. I mean, there wouldn't have, uh, there wouldn't have been much need uh, for anything further. But that's not what happened. Colonel Smith, he tarried there, marching the men back and forth, giving the uh, the colonials enough time, the militia enough time, to reach Merriam's Corner and prepare themselves for battle. And <clears throat> at this time, they fired first, and for the rest of the day, 
they would fire without orders. This is where the actual revolution began, from Miriam's corner on. The men no longer needed any orders to fire. They fired whenever the regulars came into into view, into range. <clears throat> All right. Smith had his men in column formation. They're moving out on the road on, um, uh, back to Boston. And then they're fired upon again from Brooks Hill. And then as they're moving along, the militia members are being directed toward the march and where they're going. And they have the, the men of Concord and the surrounding towns who've come to Concord are cl- following closely on behind them. He said that some of them, uh, some of the men, the uh, regulars, the British regulars, were forced to uh, march backwards while they were shooting, and uh, to stop the the militia members who were bearing closely on them from behind. <clears throat> All right, the the battle is a running battle. As they pass Brooks Tavern, then they come along to what's called the Bloody Curve. This is a place where the the road makes a sharp uh, jag to the north before making a sharp jag back again to the east. Now, the thing about a, a curve or an angle is it allows you to set up an ambush and uh, to fire on the column from several positions. And uh, several groups, several regiments had run, had uh, and companies, individual companies, had raced ahead and placed themselves uh, on the tree in the trees along the bloody curve, and had fired into the uh, the marching column with devastating results. <clears throat> the uh, the regulars were forced to uh, to actually speed up into a trot to try and run past the uh, the folks at the bloody curve. Now they. At the same time, you know, men would, uh, the regulars would be detailed uh, to advance and clear the uh, the fields of the men uh, of the militia. And this took some time also. <clears throat> so they clear the granite, the bloody curve, and they're marching along still at the, uh, at a fast pace. And they come up to the granite field and Parker's Revenge. Now, at Parker's Revenge, uh, it's not an easy, I mean, it's not a hard guess to wonder who's there. You had uh, uh, Captain Parker from Lexington and his men were there. And they had uh, set up, this time it wasn't just the uh, 60, 70 men that were there, or approximately uh, 140 to 160 men. <clears throat> they fired on the British column of regulars. Uh, the Marines were detached to clear the hill. They cleared it. Then right behind it was another called the Bluff. Now, I think of it as 
you know, you have the, you see these stories on Discovery Channel or the Animal Planet, et cetera, whatever, about the, uh, you know, different things, animals, insects and stuff, and then they have the, they'll have the reenactments of the killer bee stories. And that's how I see it. You have uh, the killer bees buzzing along, and you see those people, they're, there's not much they can do. They take off at a run. They're they're swinging wildly about their head, trying to keep the bees off their face, and and there's nothing they can do. And that's the way I see the regulars marching back to Boston. And that is that they're surrounded by men, uh, and the the musket balls are flying. And the column continues to march. And as they're marching, guys are getting knocked down and uh, and wounded and killed. And certainly you're thinking, when, when, when will it be my turn? When will I be hit? Because it's going to happen. I'm going to be shot. I don't think we're going to make it back. They were running out of ammunition to shoot back with. As I said, they only had to start it out with 36 rounds for a man. And they had pretty much uh, shot most of that up. A lot of men were out of ammunition. They were thirsty. They were hungry. They were tired. Remember, they'd gotten, they hadn't gone to bed yet. The last time they had been to bed was uh, uh, two nights ago because they, when they had started to go to bed on the 18th, they had been awoken, gotten dressed, got uh, rode across to Lechmere Point and began marching. So they hadn't slept in 40 hours. They had marched uh, approximately uh, 25 or 30 miles by this point. Very little food, very little water, and now they're running out of ammunition. They're watching their fellow soldiers shot down beside them. And they started to get, uh, they started to panic. They knew, I'm sure they thought, at least in their minds, that they weren't going to make it back. They weren't going to make it back. After the bluff and after Fisk's kill, some of the men started running. They started running uh, to try and get out of the killer bee nest. They no longer paid attention to the the orders uh, from their officers, and they started running. Well, now, once they're, the main column is running, the flankers can't keep up. The wounded can't keep up. <clears throat> Some of the officers ran ahead, turned around, faced the column as it's running toward them, lowered their rifle to them, and said, Dan, you, if you do not stop, we will kill you ourselves. Now, five of the men formed back up, they stopped their running and formed back up, uh, still under fire. As they come out of the woods, come around the corner, past Concord Hill, a great cheer goes up uh, at the front of the columns. A great, uh, the men are yelling and screaming, and I'm sure a lot of the officers thought, that's it. That's it. If they're screaming, if they're yelling... We've had it. That's it. Uh, many of the officers said we had to. Uh, surely 
at this point, we'd be forced to surrender. If we didn't surrender, we would be killed. And I'm sure they thought that was it. That was the end of the road. Whatever those guys were screaming about, it must have been uh, sheer terror to cause them to yell like that, and, and they had nothing left. At this point, they were going to be broken. And then they realized that what the men were yelling about was as they pulled into Lexington, as they marched into Lexington, they saw Percy's brigade lined up in battle order on the hills of Lexington, all his men and his cannon, and they were yelling, thank goodness, thank goodness we're saved. Percy fired a cannon, and uh, they said that you could see, actually see the ball flying, went in one side of the meeting house and out the other in a big splinter of woods and fired another round into the uh, militia that was following Smith's brigade and scattered them. <clears throat> Smith's men ran into the lines of Percy's brigade that were formed up. Uh, a lot of the men didn't have uh, they didn't have rifles anymore, or, or muskets rather. They didn't have muskets anymore. They didn't have ammunition. They ran into the lines, you know, hugging them, the, their fellow soldiers and thanking them and, and asking for water and ammunition and food. Now, I'm sure for Percy's men, I'm sure they elicited uh, a dual response. One, I'm sure the immediate response would be anger. How dare these, uh, these country folks, how dare these people uh, attack British soldiers, the king's soldiers. And then two, would certainly have to be some form of worry, which is, if they did this to them, what would stop them from doing it to us? And that's a good question. What would stop them? <clears throat> All right, once they got into Lexington, the two groups took a moment to reorganize their forces. <clears throat> Percy had Smith's men uh, fed, had the wounded treated, and started uh, uh, reorganizing some of the units uh, that uh, Smith had some of Smith's broken units, reorganizing them and attaching them to other units, and then figuring out what they were going to do next, how they were going to move, what they were going to do once they left Lexington. <clears throat> they still had a long ways to go. At the same time, the militia were doing the same thing. Now, also, at this time, there arrived an overall commander, for the militia there. Now they had had commanders, and they, the myth of each um, of the provincials uh, fighting as individuals, as maddened, spontaneous individuals, was completely untrue. They had fought in company and regiment sized units six times that day. <clears throat> But they had not had an overall commander. 
At this time, General William Heath arrived on the scene and assumed command of, a, of the uh, colonial unit. Now, Colonel Heath was a, uh, was a jolly farmer and uh, he had managed to learn uh, all of his uh, military training uh, mainly by uh, going to the Knox bookstore and reading from the uh, the books on military service there. Now, he had been uh, the commander of the Ancient Honorable Artillery Company, but he'd never been in battle before. He'd never commanded uh, a force in the field. But he was able to train himself on military manuals and military treatises quite well, and also to devise a certain strategy. You know, he looked at at the the way things were going uh, and the possible situations that would that could arise uh, that could endanger uh, the the New England folks. And after he thought about it for a while, he devised a, you know a strategy uh, to meet that, and this was called the Circle of Fire. <clears throat> and what he what he wanted to do was to keep a ring around the British forces, the British regulars, as they were moving. There was constantly moving, constantly moving with them, constantly uh, being freshened with new troops. There was never going to stand and engage them in European style. Uh, head-to-head, but was going to move along with them as they were moving along down the road. And uh, and he figured this would be the best way to engage a force of British regulars that would sally forth from Boston and how to fight them uh, on this terrain and with these types of soldiers And when? So what he started doing was he started uh, sending men forward on the route that the British would have to take to get back to Boston. Now, there weren't uh, dozens and dozens of ways to get back. Uh, there were only uh, very, there were very few roads at this time. And it was no hard guess on how you were going to get back to Boston. You were going to take the roads... Uh, the road that took you back to Boston. There was one road. That's the road you were going to take. <clears throat> so he began sending uh, units out ahead of the direction of march that Percy's uh, units had to take. And he began sending uh, men and boys on horseback, sending them out so that they could vector in the, the units that were marching in from the distant towns and cities so he could send them on down the road to the east. Now, you have to remember that the alarm had gone out uh, in all directions. And the alarm, as the, as the night and the morning was going on, the alarm was continuing to go. And as it went, men were grabbing their gear and heading uh, in the direction of Concord, 
Now, by 2 or 3 o'clock, it is said that there are approximately 20,000 or more men under arms marching, uh, marching into battle from as far away as 25 and 30 miles. Now, we're talking about men who had gotten the alarm, had grabbed all their gear, and had taken off, and they had marched 25 miles from midnight or 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, marched 25 miles so that they could throw themselves into the battle by 2 or 3 in the afternoon. Now, could you do that? Better yet, let me ask you this question. Say that, uh, say that you got the word today that the British regulars were marching on Concord. <clears throat> and uh, you needed to get the word out. How many folks could you get? Now, in 1775, there were no telephones. There were no cell phones. There was no TV, radio, faxes, pagers, uh Nothing. No cars. Nothing. And yet, in less than 12 hours, there were 20,000 men under arms marching and heading for Concord. 20,000. How many could you get today? In the era of emails and telephones... Radio, TV, how many folks could you get to grab their gear, get under arms, and begin marching to Concord to face the the British regulars? Now, we ask this at the Appleseed quite often because, because there's a big disparity between the two. Certainly we asked the folks, could you get to 100? And there's never any hands. Uh, I think there was one time, and that was just, uh, that was from a, uh, uh, I think an army captain. He thought he could get 100 men. And he may have been able to. <clears throat> could you get 50? And still no hands. What about 25? What about 10? Still no hands. What about 5? Now a few hands start coming up. What about uh, three? A few more. What about one? Could you get one person? Could you get one person to grab their gear and saddle up and head on the road? And it hurts my heart every time I see this. But there's still not every hand up. Usually there's less than 50% of the hands that come up. One other person. Can you find one other person to help defend your country, your freedoms, your liberties? One other person. Well, in 1775, they found 20,000. Those men were being uh, vectored to points ahead of the marching uh, British regulars. Now, Percy also knew 
that he would have to do something different. Instead of uh, sending his column out in uh, kind of a flying column, as Smith has been, he chose a more deliberate formation. He had the flankers out on each side, strong flanking units, uh, a major column on the in the center, along with the uh, cannon, and then uh, a large uh, column on each side, a group in the front and a group in the rear. It's kind of like a box formation. Uh, that way, the forces could be readily transferred no matter where uh, they were attacked from. If they were attacked from the right flank, he could shift his men uh, on inside lines to meet the uh, the enemy. And then he marched at a more deliberate pace. This allowed the flankers uh, to keep up with the main body. <clears throat> so as they set off, <clears throat> and he figured that the that the most intense engagement would be at the rear, with the uh, the militia following him. And <clears throat> so he put uh, a strong formation of men in the rear. And as they started off, that was indeed. Uh, where he first received the heaviest fire from was from the rear. The uh, militia kept close on. I believe that they said that uh, they heard even some of them yelling uh, King Hancock forever. I think that they were thinking that that they would uh, end up with their own king in America and some of them felt like Hancock would be a good man to to do the job. So they continued on. They're heading back for Boston. They are uh, taking fire continuously. You know, when I told you about the bees earlier, uh, I'm sure it. Uh, I'm sure the bees just got even worse. The constant uh, buzz of the balls as they came in, striking the the British regulars. They said that every Every wall, every stand of trees, every hillside held the militiamen firing on them. Now, Percy's brigade had 36 rounds per man also. But they still had a long way to go to get back. And they had to share some of the ammunition with Smith's because his men were all out of ammunition. Now, they're firing continuously. They're firing at the colonials. They're having to clear the woods to each side. They're having to clear the road ahead, and they're being attacked from behind. Uh, As they approach Monotomy, now Monotomy was, uh, uh, was a town on the road, and it was fairly large. And, uh, you know, it's a way that you see towns on highways now. You know, you have... uh, uh, all the houses close to the road, and you know a long line of them. They said that they began taking fire from the houses along the roads, <clears throat> and at this point, they were so angry that they decided that any house that uh, presumed to fire upon them, they would enter the house, kill all in the house. And, put the, and then put the house to the torch. Now, the, the fighting got intense 
in Manarmi. It got very intense. There were a lot of houses. People were firing from the houses. The uh, regulars were busting open the houses, uh, killing all the folks inside the houses, burning the houses. Uh, they were killing the, uh, the farm animals, the cattle, the sheep, the pigs. As they were coming along, one of the men <clears throat> who lived in Monotomy he was, uh, well, I guess I think he was about uh, 55, uh, 56. Uh, his name was Jason Russell. He was 58, I believe. And uh, he was very lame. And I, I don't know if that meant that he had gout or perhaps he had arthritis, etc. But he could barely walk. And uh, he got his family together and sent them on to a place of safety. Now, they wanted him to leave, too, but he wouldn't. And why? I'm going to tell you what he said, and I want you to think about it. He wouldn't leave because an Englishman's home is his castle. Did you hear what I just said? An Englishman's home is his castle. He didn't say an American's home is his castle. He said an Englishman's home is his castle. They still consider themselves to be English. And they consider their rights uh, to be the same as an English citizens in England. He felt his home, his home was his castle, his home, his freedom, his liberties were there. He put together a breastwork of, uh, of shingles. You know, shingles are the... Uh, you take a you take a log and you start splitting it thinly, and uh, and that's what you used to shingle your roof with. You know, you cut the cut the log about a foot or so, and then you have a uh, it's actually like a shingle cutter. It's a blade, a steel blade, and you hammer it down every inch or so along the on the log, and it will shear off uh, a section of the log. He put up a pile of the shingles there, kind of like a breastwork, on his front porch and decided he would wait there for the regulars as they passed by. And he did. <clears throat> now, also, uh, in the orchard there, there was a party of, uh, uh, of, da- the, of Minutemen from Danvers, and they decided that they would use that, uh, the barn and the fence and stuff there in Russell's orchard as a place to to ambush the column, the British column. And uh, as they were setting up, uh, a uh, another captain who was a veteran passed by. And he said, listen, you guys are too close to the road. He told them to, you know, to move off to a, a hill where they could take their, they could fire from the hill, you know, from a place of safety. And they said, no, we like where we're at. And uh, it would be a good place to, a good close place to attack the column from. And it was. And they got off uh, several shots and they knocked some men down. However, remember what I told you earlier about the flankers? That they're firing at the British column. There's another group of men who are coming up behind them. And they killed all of the, the men from Danvers there. They killed all seven of the Danvers men and then killed another four men 
from Lynn, who had joined them. They'd been warned about this, but since they'd never experienced uh, warfare, they didn't really understand flankers, etc. They decided to do it their own way. They learned a harsh lesson from that. Russell fought from his front porch, and uh, there were several other people who were fighting close to his house. Russell was killed. He uh, he was shot many times and then bayoneted many, many more times. And altogether, 11 folks were found dead at the, uh, the Russell house. A lot of those folks, you know, had got rushed inside the house as they were shooting. Uh, and uh, as I said before, the, the regulars would force the house, put all to death inside, and usually torch the house also. Now, <clears throat> the fighting in monotony was just downright bitter. It was house to house, uh, urban style fighting, people shooting, uh, you know, from 15, 20 feet away at the regulars, even though they knew for certain they were going to be killed probably because they were too close, no way to escape. Now, Monotomy was also the home of, uh, of a man named Samuel Whittemore, who was 78 years old, and uh, he was badly crippled. You know, he'd lived a long life, long, hard life, and and, uh, and he was busted up, but he was an old soldier. Not only that, he was a man who understood marksmanship. Now, when Whittemore heard about the uh, the regulars marching on Monotomy, he grabbed his musket, a couple of pistols, and his uh, his old cavalry saber, and he found himself a good, strong shooting position. 150 yards, 150 yards from the road. Now, for those of you who have shot uh, a Napoleon event, you know 150 yards, 150 yards is a pretty good distance. And uh, 150 yards with a musket is a really good distance. Anyway, Whittemore got off five shots. And he got them off so fast, and each time that he fired, he knocked somebody down. He had paid such attention to his marksmanship that the regulars assumed he was part of a larger unit. They sent a large group of men to clear that area. When they got up there, Wintermore killed another soldier with his musket. He shot two with the pistols. Another two of the soldiers with the two pistols he had. He was taking his saber, getting ready to carve up another one whenever one of the uh, regulars put his uh, musket against uh, Whittemore's face and pulled the trigger and ripped his face off. Now, they were pretty hot about what he'd done. They shot him several more times, and then each of the men bayoneted him. Now, He'd been shot many times and then bayoneted approximately a dozen times. After the battle, some of his friends went searching for him. They found him up there. And he was still alive at the time. And uh, they took him down to the to the local surgeon. And the surgeon looked at him and he just shook his head and he said, Listen, he's had it. He's 78. 
He's been shot over and over. He's been bayoneted over and over. That's it. He's done. So they let him lay there, and uh, and then Winnemore died. That's right. Winnemore died 18 years later. <laughs> he lived another 18 years. I guess uh, he was a little bit tougher than what the surgeon thought. Shot over and over, bayoneted over and over. Most of his face blown away. He was a rugged man. But the fighting was intense. The fighting in monotony was intense. Now they finally cleared the town, uh, made it past the the town, <clears throat> but they... Uh, They weren't done. They still had to continue on. They still had a long way to go. And they were running out of ammunition. They had... They were getting... They were taking a savage beating. Now, they're going to have to cross the river in Cambridge. And the militia knew this. So they took up the planks for the bridge. They pulled the planks off so they wouldn't be able to cross the bridge. And they had men ready. They had units uh, uh, setting up across the Charles and on either flanks. Once the uh, British regulars, once they'd gotten to the Charles River and they couldn't cross the the bridge there, they were going to be in a hard position. They're going to have their backs against the river. They're going to have uh, militia units already across the river. And they're on each flank, and then they're following them. They were going to close them up to a box and crush them. <clears throat> Percy sent his engineers ahead to take a look at the, uh, at the road. They saw the, the bridge that had been damaged there at Cambridge. But they also saw that the guys who had uh, disassembled the bridge had actually taken the planks off the bridge and stacked them in a nice little pile because they figured, hey, after we get rid of the uh, the regulars, we're just going to put these planks back on the bridge. We don't have to want to go have to go cut and make some more planks. We'll just stack them over here until we're done. Then we'll uh, take care of the, the regulars and then we'll put the planks back on and all's good and well. Well, the engineers went ahead and got the planks that were stacked there, and they put the planks back onto the bridge, rode back and let Percy know. So he's hightailing it there. Now the militiamen come back, and they go, look at this. The planks got put back on there. Well, this time they took them off, and they threw them in the river. The engineers look, and they see that the, the bridge is damaged again. Percy knew, he knew that he was in a bond. But, as he came to the outskirts of of, uh, Cambridge, he learned of of another road, another lane, called Kent Lane. This is a small, uh, you know, local lane, which connected 
the uh, road to Charleston with the road to Cambridge. It's like uh, it was the closest point that the two came to, and it was a way to get from one road to the other. Uh, and uh, Percy turned his men down Kent Lane and set them marching off to Charleston instead of the uh, road to Boston. This was a completely unexpected uh, direction change. Nobody was expecting this to happen. The the road from Monotomy to Cambridge, there's just the one road, except for a little tiny lane that connected uh, the road to Charleston to the road to uh, Cambridge. He took that lane. He busted out of the circle of fire that way because the units were all set up uh, uh, to the south along that road, ready to engage him. And then uh, the largest portion were set up there in Cambridge, waiting for him to, uh, uh, to hit the Charles River, where they could destroy him. But his men took the unexpected turn on Kenton Lane, and then took the road, marching uh, fast, onto Charleston. Now, <clears throat> as they headed up to... To Charleston, there was one unit left coming up at Prospect Hill. One unit left that could have stood in their way. <clears throat> now, this unit was co- co- <clears throat> commanded by Colonel Timothy Pickering. Now, he could have stopped them in there and allow the other units to catch up and continue on and hopefully uh, fought the regulars to a standstill before they reached Charleston. But he let them pass. Now, he said he let them pass on the orders of Heath, and Heath strongly denies this. Now, it's also known that Pickering, later on in the war, he fought quite honorably. It's not that he was a coward. Many believe that he was afraid that if they fought Percy's unit to a standstill, if they absolutely destroyed them there, that there would no be no way out of war with England. I'm sure that uh, he would be considered more of a moderate, thinking that if they let them pass, they let the troops pass and uh, and make it back, then maybe there would be some way uh, to to reach a peaceful accord after this. Regardless of what his ideas are, what he thought, Percy's brigade marched on. They made it back to uh, Charleston Neck. Now, at the Neck, that's where the... Uh, uh, the Mystic River and the uh, Port, I mean the uh, the Charles River, which is the you know the base surrounding uh, Boston, that allows the ships to come up close enough from either side, from the Mystic River side or from the Charles River side, close enough for their guns to cover the Charleston Neck. Once the regulars had crossed the Neck. And they occupied Bunker Hill and uh, laid upon their arms there. 
the militia couldn't follow them any closer because if they would have, they would have come under the guns of the uh, British warships there. Now they'd lost a huge amount of men. The regulars followed them closely and buttoned the uh, militia followed them closely and buttoned the regulars up in Charleston and then also began the siege of Boston. This is the third strike of the match. All right. We're going to uh, take just a second, and then uh, we'll take some callers. Very seldom, uh, matter of fact, I, until last Tuesday, I don't think I'd ever done the any of the stores sitting down, and uh, I find it to be uh, very hard. I think it's much easier to stand up and move around and tell the stories and uh, in an animated fashion. <clears throat> All right, let's take some calls. Uh, Pop, you're on the air. Oh yeah, I'm here. I'm listening, Pop, uh, Scout. Well, welcome to the show. Yeah, I, I uh, didn't get to listen last Tuesday night, so I've been listening to the archived version uh, yesterday and today. I've just kept it on going as I'm walking around the house doing stuff, and and uh, it's a really good show last week. I'm sorry I missed it, but well, are you ready for this weekend? Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah. What's the what's the pre-registration up to now? Uh, Hawkhaven uh, updated on Tuesday, and I believe it's at 27 right now. That's for the Austin okay. Rock Club event on December 12th and 13th. Yeah, and I I know of three more, so that's at least 30. Yeah, uh, I think we're going to expect about uh, 40 shooters or so, and uh, I believe we have uh, approximately uh, eight instructors, so we'll have a a good one to four uh, ratio and. Uh, the uh, club, the Austin Rifle Club, I believe they're fairly happy about it. Now, I lost my chat uh, whenever it, uh, you know, the blog talk just refreshes itself. And uh, I lost the chat, so uh, I don't know who oh. all is in, in there now. But uh, if you'd like to call in, then uh, then please do. The number is 347-308-8790. Now, we're waiting for Jim Tome from uh, the Second Amendment Patriots in Indiana to call in. And uh, as soon as he calls in, we'll we'll get him on the air. <clears throat> All right. But until then, uh, you're welcome to call in, uh, area code 347-308-8790. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got all the stuff uh, uh, loaded up ready to go. This is going to be another event. Uh, we won't be able to use the... Uh, we're going to be on a 200-yard range, which means we'll have to put together our own uh, target lines and everything else. We're going to have to you know, go down to the end of the range. And They uh, have targets, uh, Scout. They have that? target backers. They've got a good target backer set up. I don't know if you've seen it, but we're not yeah, supposed to have... Stuff? Yeah, they've got that, uh, I don't know what you call it, that black uh, uh, composite board that uh, use in construction. And uh, uh, down there on the 200-yard line, should be really good. Uh, I went out there with uh, Jethro uh, uh, after boot camp and, and uh, uh, took a look at the whole thing. It's really a nice setup. Yeah, we'll probably end up... Uh well, we'll just do this. We'll use this range now because that's the range we reserved, and the other ranges weren't quite ready uh, at the time we set this up. But I think that we'll probably end up using some of the new ranges that were set up, uh, uh, you know, but behind, directly oh. behind, and across that creek. Uh huh. We'll probably end up using some of those ranges uh, in the future because uh, those are the shorter ranges and. Uh, we can set up fairly easily on those, but right now we're going to use the uh, the 200 yard range, which is I believe range C. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, and I'm hoping that uh, our weather will be good for it. The uh, uh, the weather here the last week has been uh, nice and rainy, and <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that we get. Uh, uh, you know, some some decent weather uh, before they shoot this weekend. Let's see. What do we got now? Uh, yeah. Cool mornings and uh, nice afternoons in the 60s, maybe, maybe low 70s even. So ought to be a good shoot. Yeah, I'm showing uh, uh, partly cloudy. And uh, with a 10% chance of rain. 
Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to get there Friday and uh, try and get the, you know, any of the the last minute stuff uh, done. And uh, as I said, I want to make sure that we have a a good showing uh, for this event because it's going to be the like our, our audition, you know, for the Austin oh, Rifle yeah. Club. And the Austin Rifle Club is a great club. They've got a lot of members. Uh, they've been hosting uh, the national uh, uh, shooting events, and uh, it's uh, right right there uh, within uh, ten minutes of uh, the city of Austin with their millions and millions of folks. There shouldn't be any reason that uh, that we shouldn't have the event sold out uh, at each of the uh, at each of the events there. You know, with uh, with that many millions of folks. Uh, we should be able to uh, we should be able to have the lines filled there. Uh, the problems that the problems that we have with uh, getting folks on the line is not because there are not millions of people that want to come to the events and be on the lines. Uh, the problems are uh, uh, back when I was in uh, in college and uh, we we're studying about uh, the same kind of thing. Uh, uh, as far as uh, with employment, it was called frictional unemployment, and that is there are companies out there that uh, that need uh, folks to build widgets, and there are people out there who know how to build widgets and need a job, but how do you get the two together? And uh, that is the only thing that's holding back the uh, the Appleseed project is that is getting the information out there. The fact that we're having uh, events, what we do, how you can get to an event, how you can get registered, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I saw that you had sent uh, uh, some notices to the uh, uh, the Ron Paul group and the Austin, yeah, the Austin uh, Meetup group. Yeah, meetup group here. And, uh, I've I've gotten uh, a couple of responses off of that. that people are going to come, and I hope a few more will. Yep, that's great, and we've got uh, several folks that are, uh, uh, you know, that are sending out uh, emails. I've been listing it on calendars and uh, and sending out emails to the folks there, and uh, that's what we ought to do. And uh, <clears throat> I believe that uh, Fred, I believe he has it listed, uh, the event listed in Shotgun News, and uh, I'm hoping that the club has gotten it out on their uh, club newsletter. And then things that you know that we depend on uh, to get folks to come to events. So <clears throat> all right, pop. Yes, sir. All right. So uh, tell me what else can be done to. Uh, to get the word out there in Austin. Now, I know you're not from Austin. You're from Corpus, but uh, hey, I, did you say that you had your I mom? Live in, I live fires? in Corpus now, but uh, did you say the, you had your mom, thing, your mom putting up flyers? Oh, yeah, she's walking the streets <laughs> uh, on tel- plaster and telephone poles. You know, she's only 86, but, hey, she can. she's, she's good for it. Now, we. Uh, I haven't put a notice in the Austin newspaper. I'm sure there's some... Uh, some local uh, online calendars that uh, that we could put notices on. Uh, they do that in Corpus on 
several different organizations do that. So I just don't know what they are. Uh, I've been uh, hitting them. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, and then we're going to get a lot of uh, word of mouth from the uh, from the folks who come to the shoot. I think they're going to be happy with it. I think the club's going to yeah. be happy with it. Uh, yeah. So, well, I'm going to send you an email uh, after the show, Scout. So look for it. And uh, I've got a few other things to do. I'm going to be listening in. So if, if you uh, have other people that want to get on and talk, uh, uh, go get them. And, uh, okay. Are you just on your phone or are you on the computer? Well, I'm on my computer uh, on the chat thing, and I'm on my phone talking. Uh, sometimes I can get the chat thing to to uh, uh, listen th- through my uh, sh- computer speakers, but it doesn't want to do that tonight, so okay. Okay, well, uh, can you put the uh, call-in number uh, in the chat? That. It's uh, 347... 347-308... 308-8790. And, uh, 347-308-8790. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, now we've got a lot of events uh, coming up in January, and I want to encourage everyone, too, to uh, to be constantly on the lookout uh, for new locations because we're going to have quite a few shoots on April 19th this year, and uh, we're always in need of new locations. So constantly be on the lookout for new locations. Now this isn't just uh, it isn't just ranges, all right. We uh, will be glad to take a range uh, if they will uh, have us there, but uh, but be checking uh, on private land. See if, uh, if you know. Be uh, always on the lookout for that because uh, we can always use uh, some private land locations uh, to hold events at. It doesn't have to be a lot. It just has to be uh, uh, enough to set up a 25-meter uh, uh, firing line on and uh, with a good, uh, dependable bullet stop uh, behind it. <clears throat> so be on the lookout uh, for private land. And then uh, and keep asking the, the ranges. Uh, you know, I had a lot of... Uh, uh, I've had a, a lot of difficulty with the ranges in uh, a lot of the larger metropolitan areas uh, here in Texas. And uh, the areas around Dallas, we're still looking for a good range in Dallas. Uh, the areas around San Antonio, Houston, Austin. <clears throat> because at the time, uh, over this last year, uh, the political situation had caused a great number of people uh, to to think that now is the time to uh, to purchase firearms and become proficient in them, and which is good. But it has caused a lot of the uh, the major ranges uh, to they're not willing to give Appleseed a weekend there because uh, you know we when you run an event you have to close down the the line uh, you know off and on go check targets and put new targets up etc. and they don't want to do that. Uh, because they fear it will alienate their regular customer base. A lot of the ranges don't have uh, a whole lot of uh, 
lot of separated lines. So they're not willing to give up any of them uh, to Appleseed because because they don't want to uh, take a chance uh, on discouraging their regular customers. But keep asking. <clears throat> they're... Uh, we need locations. We really need it for the, for Texas. I'm speaking about. We need a location in uh, Texarkana, in Dallas, in San Antonio, uh, and uh, and then one in East Texas. If we could get one uh, uh, somewhere uh, uh, somewhere on the Texas Louisiana border. Uh, about midway between Texarkana and the Gulf, that would be another great location. Uh, if you'd like to call in, you're welcome to call in at uh, 347-308-8790. Uh, as I said, I'm, uh, I'm not having any luck with my... Uh, with the chat program again, and uh, I don't understand why, because uh, <clears throat> uh, I did everything that uh, I needed to do with that. I'm still thinking that uh, I'm probably going to have to end up getting the premium uh, host services uh, to work some of this out, and uh, just refrain from doing that, because I'm already spending so much on the satellite stuff for this. I had to get uh, you know, a major upgrade in satellite in order to uh, to be able to upload and download all the stuff for the, the show. And uh, Okay, I just got it. <clears throat> all right. The chat opened back up <clears throat> and uh, And yes, I see Karen is there. Hello, Karen. Uh, and uh, I don't have a cold. I, I know. I, I think I just have some type of uh, uh, sinus, some type of allergy stuff. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, uh, as rainy as it's been. We still have a lot of uh, mold and. Uh, 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 other stuff in the air. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> uh, Sam, if you'd like to call in, uh, any of the rest of the folks, you're wo- you're welcome to. Uh, as I said, we're still waiting for, uh, for Jim to call in. Uh, but uh, we'll take calls until he does. Uh, Sam, welcome to the show. All right, wait a minute. Area code 512. You're on the air? 512. 512-376. Can you hear me?
All right. <clears throat> well, I've left your mic open, so whenever you, uh, whenever you get on, just uh, introduce yourself. <clears throat> Can you hear me? Area code five one two three seven six. All right. Uh, I believe that we're going to have uh, about eight instructors at the ARC club this coming weekend. Uh, Let's see, Aromatic, Metalbot, Pop, uh, Vortrekker, Mara is going to be there and her husband. Uh, And then, uh, let's see, there should be a couple more. I don't know if Big D will be there or not. so we should have a good crew there this weekend. And uh, we will get together on Friday, those that can. And uh, those that can't, we'll talk by phone. And then uh, we'll meet uh, Saturday morning early also because uh, the uh, Austin Rifle Club has uh, – uh, it will be – you know, it will be different. Each location you have an event at is a different – you have a little bit – different ways of doing things. Uh, not a whole lot because all, most of the events go the same, but a little bit different ways of doing things. And uh, we're going to want to make sure that uh, everybody that gets to the range, as soon as they get to the range, before they get, uh, you know, as soon as they get out of their cars, before they get onto the firing line, they're going to need a, an ARC badge, listing them as a, uh, uh, as either a shooter or a guest, and then, uh, and then uh, <clears throat> a uh, waiver and everything else before they get onto the range. So, uh, we want to make sure that, uh, that we're going to funnel them uh, in onto the uh, the property that way. I'm trying to do two or three things at once here, so that's why I end up sounding uh, like uh, uh, like an idiot whenever I do that. <clears throat> anyway, there are going to be quite a few things that we're going to do that's going to be a little bit different than normal, and uh, so. But each location, as I said, has its own uh, different things, and that's one of the reasons that, as an instructor. You should really do your best to go uh, to multiple locations, not just uh, uh, not just to fill your travel card, but because you need to uh, experience uh, listening to different instructors, how they run a shoot, what they do, how they give instruction. Find out the best way to do it because you're gonna you're gonna see that everybody has their own distinct way of doing things. Uh, everybody has a, a little bit of a different twist that they put on the stories. They put on the instruction, a little bit of a different twist on how they run their shows. And you, you need to see the different ways that this is done so that you can put together your best show. <clears throat> so you need to go to different locations and, uh, and do events under different shoot bosses. And, uh, and that way you get a, a good uh, 
uh, a good body of instruction, a good body of uh, of learning. <clears throat> the uh, as I said we're going to move the range all the way down to the uh, the end of the 200 meter range, and we'll set up down there and. Uh, and I'm hoping that we're going to have uh, good weather for the event, and then we will do another one uh, one month later on the January 9th and 10th. We'll do the second event, and uh, and hopefully we can get that one. Uh, we can do the push, the promo push, even better for that one, and get that set up. Uh, uh, get this set up as a regular monthly uh, venue for Austin. Now we have another location that we're trying to set up in Bastrop. Uh and that is with Tom's place out there with the uh Jed Jed uh Jethro's brother. Uh he has a range in Bastrop and we'd like to get it set up also and uh, and then we need a location in San Antonio Texarkana, uh, East Texas, and uh, now Pop has a good location down in Corpus Christi, but we'd like to get one, another one even further south. Uh, so be sure and keep your eyes open for the different locations. <clears throat> okay. Now, Brett says he's got a lot of uh a lot of folks talking to him about the event they heard it on the Brownfield uh the Brownfield radio show. Uh which they probably did. And uh uh I've got uh and uh I don't want to say her name. So uh, but there's a young lady who's been uh, who's been helping out with, let's see, where did she get it? Texas Freedom and Justice Forum. Uh, and she said she was also going to try and talk to uh, to Sheriff Mack about the event. And, uh, you know, we can always get, uh, uh, if any of the folks uh, in Austin, any of the, you know, Austin is the state capital, if we can get any of the elected officials to come, you know, it's always free. For the elected officials, a chance for them to come. If they want to come and they want to speak, uh, not about re-election or not about anything uh, on their on their personal politics, because uh, being a, a nonprofit organization, we cannot uh, endorse any particular candidate. But we can listen. We, there's no problems. There's nothing that prohibits us from listen listening to the ideas of uh, individual candidates. Uh, and uh, if any of them want to come. To any of the events, any of the Austin politicians want to come to any of the events, uh, we're, we're glad to let them come and shoot free. If uh, if you have any friends that uh, are active duty, and there's a lot of uh, active duty uh, units, active duty Garden Reserve in the Austin area, they're going to shoot free too, uh, as well as women and children under 21. <clears throat> Because the uh, the program is not the Alpsy program isn't about making money. Uh, if it was, then 
we would be charging uh, two to three hundred, four hundred dollars for the weekend, like everybody else does, instead of just uh, the seventy bucks uh, for two days. That's uh, thirty-five bucks a day. Uh, you can uh, you can uh, run that down to about uh, uh, oh, about four dollars an hour uh, for the uh, for the instruction. And the reason is we're not about making money. We're about making riflemen. We're about making folks uh, who want to live the life of the rifleman. You know, the life from a rifleman is a person who every single day they do something to improve themselves, improve their home, their family, their community, their city, their state, and their nation. A rifleman is always looking for ways to improve himself, ways to teach, to pass on the message uh, of the importance of our freedoms and liberties. All right. Let's see. One of the people are asking, when did the price go down? Uh, As far as I know, it's always been uh, 70 bucks. Uh, for pre-registration. Now, if you wait and you you pay uh, the walk-on price, it's eighty, uh, and that's just because we we needed some incentive to get folks to pre-register because pre-registration uh, helps us save money because uh, we've got a lot of uh, we've got a lot of folks. Uh, we've got a lot of hotel rooms, a lot of airline tickets, uh, a lot of uh, uh, packages we have to send uh, across the nation every month. So how are we going to fix this? How are we going to do it? What we'd like you to do is go to rwva.org or Appleseed, uh, appleseedinfo.org. That'll take you to the homepage. On the homepage... Look up on the top left-hand corner, and you'll see a uh, uh, you'll see Appleseed. Now you you put your cursor on that, you get a drop-down menu. When you go to the drop-down menu, you move down to Schedule. All right, and that'll take you to the Schedule page. On the Schedule page, you look for the city that you'd like to uh, attend an event at, the location, and then the date is just to the right of that. We have it listed by month. Then there are two hot links to the right of each uh, location. One says information. That will give you the information uh, for that event, uh, for that specific location, directions, who to contact for more information, etc. And then to the right of that is another hot link that says register. Uh, now that will take you to our third-party software, which is Eventbrite, and that allows you to pre-register. That makes sure that you have a place on the line and that we have a good uh, instructor to student ratio there, and uh, that way that whenever you show up at the event, you won't have to hear the uh, sold out or no place on the line. We'll have a guaranteed place on the line. Uh, it allows us to make sure that we have enough uh, uh, instructional material there for everyone, uh, T-shirts, etc., targets, <clears throat> and then enough uh, instructors. Now, also, there's been several times when the event. Uh, when we've had enough folks 
that the event was going to close out, and we were able to acquire additional uh, additional rain, uh, additional firing line. Uh, in one case, it was, uh, uh, you know, they were side by side. In another case, we had to actually go across town to a different range and get it. Uh, but we were still able to uh, to get all the folks get all the folks uh, positions. But we wouldn't have been able to do that if we didn't have their pre-registration numbers. Uh, all right, Sam, I'm going to bring you on the I'm going to bring you online in just a second. I had you on there, but uh, it sounded like you were uh, like you were building the Empire State Building or something. So I had to cut it back off. But I'll bring you on if you'll uh, if you'll realize that you're on. I put away the tools. Okay. Okay. Good. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be on, Scout. Uh, how are you I doing, Stephen? To... Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. We and how's have the state of New Mexico doing? It's in Texas today. Are you? What are you doing in Texas? Oh no, I'm not. The state of New Mexico is. Oh, okay. A hundred mile an hour wind blew it over some near where, somewhere near Van Horn. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I haven't been anywhere near uh, any media or anything, so I didn't hear anything about it. <clears throat> uh, was it a uh, was it a specific storm or was it just a uh, a winter wind? No, it was a specific storm, and uh, it, it hit Texas pretty well too. They got up to some ninety mile an hour gusts in El Paso, but. The state seems to have handled it well, and uh, everything will be real good. I'm looking forward to weekend after next for Carlsbad. We're going to have no wind and 65 degrees for a fine shoot down Carlsbad. Wow. Devinall. Uh, you still got all your, uh, none of your animals uh, got wings, did they? No, no, they didn't. They stayed on the ground. We had a fine winter shoot over the weekend up in Albuquerque. Yeah, listen, I, I'm dying to get up there and uh, and have a uh, either a you know an early or end of fall early winter shoot or uh, an early spring shoot, and uh, I'd love to do it in Raton or uh, Albuquerque. <clears throat> How did it go? Well, uh, Devnall was on the board a little while ago. Uh, maybe he could come on and tell us, but the head 20 came out and braved the wind and the cold. It was pretty uh, pretty nippy up there. Came out, stayed the whole day. I believe they had 13 or 14 on Sunday, came back, made four riflemen out of the bunch, and all of them want to take that, uh, take that step and grab an orange hat, and you can't beat that. Wow, that is great. How cold did it get? It was in the 20s. I think the high up there was 34. With the typical Albuquerque wind in the 40s. Well, you know, you've got to appreciate the dedication of the folks that come out and uh, and shoot in this. Because they don't have to. You know, they could sit in their, sit on their couch in their nice warm house and uh, and keep hitting the remote and... Uh, and they could spend their weekend that way, but uh, that's not going to help them. So 
I appreciate the dedication of the folks coming out into the you know to, for the winter shoots. We have some fine uh, fine people up in Albuquerque, and and that town is growing on us. Uh, that was our first shoot at the Del Norte Gun Club, which is a very large club. And we were invited up by one of their board members, and uh, they've expressed a lot of interest in it. They've already given us four shoots for for 2010, uh, given us range for four days in 2010, and Chris has got a uh, got our April 19th shoot set up for the Del Norte Club. Wow. It already be on the board. What wow. I thought was really unusual, though, was that one of their board members came up and asked if we were willing to do one for all youngsters. And there's right. nothing in the world I would love to do better than an all youngster apple seed. And how's that going? Did they have you heard any more from it? Well, uh, they just mentioned it to him on Saturday, mm-hmm. but we'll do it. Stay on we'll them. be happy to do that. Stay on them because uh, that's exactly the folks that uh, you know, that we're looking for. Uh, the youth of the nation, the uh, the families, the, the people that are the real governing body, the real uh, government in America. And uh, the folks, uh, I've had several of the, uh, of the youth groups who've come to events here. And uh, they have been absolutely the best. You know, I think I told you guys a story once of the. Uh, we had one uh, large group of, uh, I guess, who are called explorers. And uh, it is a, uh, you know, it's a kind of like a church cross between a church and scout organization. And uh, the pastor brought, uh, I believe, he brought eleven or twelve uh, of the kids up, and he'd actually stopped at a pawn shop uh, on the way. And made a deal to buy every twenty-two that they had, and uh, and man, let me tell you, that was a uh, a bag of stuff. Because you can imagine what you get when you go to a pawn shop and you say, "Give me all your twenty-twos," and uh, <laughs> it was it was rough. One of the girls was shooting uh, a lever action twenty-two with the rear sight was just taped on, and uh, she shot right up to. Right below shooting a rifleman score uh, with that taped on rear sight uh, tube fed lever action uh, 22. And uh, not a single one of the kids complained. Uh, none of them whined. Uh, they were all good kids. And uh, I love uh, instructing the kids, you know, at the events. Uh, it's, always, uh, it's always a very satisfying uh, group. To instruct, you know, it has its own difficulties, but it's always a very satisfying group. And uh, I like the fact that whenever you give, when you get the the kids to understand and work uh, through the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship, then they have the rest of their life to uh, to continue to refine that. You know, a lot of us, uh, even though we've been shooting uh, most of our lives, a lot of us didn't. Uh, you know, come into the program or get the instruction that we really needed until later on. You know, I shot my, uh, most of my life I've shot, but I've never had any really good uh, fundamentals taught to me until I worked with the Alpha program. Uh, you know, I'd shot uh, my rifle uh, five or ten times a year. I shot my deer 
uh, my coyotes, etc. But I'd never had the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship taught to me until uh, I'd gone to the Alpsteed program. And uh, I try and think of, of where I'd be shooting now if, uh, if that had been taught to me, you know, 25, 30 years ago. You know, there's no better investment that, that Appleseed can make than bringing those young people into the program, giving them a good early opportunity to learn uh, learn that history, learn where, where citizens fit into the nation, uh, teaches them responsibility, and they'll be out there passing on those good words for another 60 or 70 years. You can't make a better investment than to go out and, and teach uh, teach those young people. I had, uh, I believe, nine at our Alamogordo shoot at the end of August, and it was fantastic having them out there. Uh, there's nothing in the world more fun than to teach a youngster how to do something positive. Their minds are open. They want to learn. Nothing in the world will get their interest more than getting them on a range. And then when you tell them some history, history that they won't be taught in school today. Uh, it, it's a fantastic time, great fun, and, and like I say, the best investment you can make. We do this for the future of the country, for our posterity, and they are it. And uh, there's nothing better you can do than to get a, a bunch of young people out there and, and get them on the line, and you'll be happy. It'll make you feel good. You know, we get a lot of folks, I'm looking at the, the chat here, and they're talking about uh, different folks who have come in uh, to shoots and stuff. They've, uh, uh, a bunch of folks from Canada, from Canada, a bunch of Canadians, and uh, I've actually, uh, I've actually instructed several Canadians. There were two Canadians at the, uh, uh, the shoot in uh, Vermont uh, last year, and uh, let me tell you, these guys were—they uh, were great. They were great shooters, uh, but they were about as wild as as you could imagine. They—they uh, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> looked like they had just uh, come off their trapping lines, and uh, uh, but they were great guys. And uh, I've—I have had just about everyone you can imagine uh, on the line at Apple Seeds. I've had. Uh, Vietnamese, uh, Cambodians, Thais, Russians, uh, Czechs, uh, Germans, English, uh, on and on. And the one thing they had in common, uh, especially the folks from countries uh, who had experience in uh, the degradation of uh, freedom and liberty, is that they all listened to that part of it. They all took it seriously. Uh, Americans take for granted uh, their freedoms and their liberties. They believe that since they've always been here, they always will be. And that's certainly uh, certainly, uh, not a uh, it's certainly not a forever thing. Uh, You can lose your freedoms and your liberties. if you're not there to uh, to guard and defend them every single day, then they can dissolve. They can drift away. And uh, 
the folks, especially from the Eastern Bloc countries, and uh, and like I said, from a lot of, from the Asian countries, they understood this uh, very uh, very definitely understood the fact that uh, that your rights aren't permanent, that your rights aren't guaranteed, uh, and you better watch out for them. You better watch and defend and protect them. <clears throat> I can't think of a better way to reinforce that message than apple seed. And, uh, you know, that's what we're looking for is to, is to remind people of where those rights came from, the responsibilities that go with them, what the price was to, to gain those rights for us, to remind uh, the British Crown in our case that uh, those rights were given to us by God, and Appleseed is the place to uh, to learn and teach that. And there is no better thing you can do as an American citizen than to go out and teach that history, uh, teach marksmanship, which is an important part of it. And uh, th- there's just nothing better you can do. And there's no better feeling that you can get than to teach that to people and watch the light come on in their eyes. And uh, it's fantastic. Uh, Brett, has uh, he mentioned here, he wrote out in the chat that he's been thinking some. Now, of course, we all know that that's a very dangerous thing, but (laughs) (laughs) he's been thinking some. So... And uh, he actually came up with a very good thought, and that is, why don't you try and talk to uh, uh, to Alex Jones and see if he won't uh, uh, mention it on his show this week that uh, we're going to be at the Austin Rifle Club. Uh, I will try that. I uh, haven't I've, had very good success getting a hold of him lately, but I will certainly try it. Right. I haven't either. I've called him, uh, and uh, I don't know if, uh, and I've emailed too, and I haven't got anybody to return the emails. But, uh, you know, give him a call and see if he can't uh, get it out on his show uh, that we're going to have the event at the Austin Rifle Club uh, this weekend and then again on the 9th and 10th of January. I'll call him at lunchtime tomorrow. Yeah, you should have some pull with him. Uh, I hope so. Sam did a show with, uh, on the, he uh, was interviewed by Alex Jones uh, about the Appleseed Project uh, this last year in, uh, did a great job, and it's in the archives. So if you want to go back and listen to it, just uh, go to the AJ uh, <clears throat> go to the AJ website and uh, look back in the archives for it. Do you remember what day, what day it was, Sam, or what? Uh... That was one year ago today, Scout. Okay, and that's December what you guys look for. This, December eighth. Look for the uh, for the interview by uh, uh, Alex Jones of uh, Sam D. Uh, he did a great show. Great job on it. We had a really good turnout uh, at the events uh, following that. So I, I was hoping that we were going to stay, uh, you know, that we were going to be able to uh, to stay with uh, that kind of thing. Now, uh, Appleseed, of course, doesn't endorse. Uh, we really only endorse Appleseed. Uh, a lot of people have different ways of thinking and different things that they want to say. I'm not going to say anything about uh about other folks' ways of thinking, because that's, you know, this is America, and you're free to think every which way you can. Uh, And we're not going to try and stifle 
anything. We just have our own way. The Appleseed Project has its own way of thinking, and uh, we like to think about the positives. And uh, but uh, we certainly would like for uh, Mr. Jones to uh, uh, to give the information out to his uh, his listeners. Appleseed is at its best when we stay with our mission and work that hard. Uh, if we if we don't allow ourselves to become distracted, and people learn to appreciate that, uh, people who come to Appleseed, you know, are get involved kind of people, and uh, and they like to go out and they spread the word, and a lot of us are involved in more than just Appleseed, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's right. Uh, when we do Appleseed, we need to stay with Appleseed. So we don't get sidetracked and dilute our mission, lose track of where we're going, and the listeners appreciate that. We don't well, ramble aimlessly because uh, we're on one subject and we stay with it and know it well. Right, and uh, I, uh, I guess Mr. Tomes is not going to make it tonight. Uh, if he does, he's only going to have seven minutes. Uh, but one of the things that. Uh, uh, I wanted to look, or that I wanted to speak with him about, was the idea that uh, you know all of the all of the groups, even though we have uh, in some cases uh, very differing ideas on what needs to be done in the country and what uh, uh, and the ways to go about doing it, <clears throat> we nonetheless uh, should be supporting each other. Uh, I would be in favor of uh, of some type of a loose confederation of all the different organizations uh, so that we can share ideas so that we can uh, share the uh, information that we have and uh, and that we can take advantage of the uh, you know the different types of thinking the different uh, the ways of uh, of getting the job done uh, that we could and uh, that's one of the things I wanted to speak to Mr. Tomes about now I guess since uh, since he's not going to be here this week, then uh, this next week uh, I'm going to uh, talk to uh, Old Glory and the rest of the crew, uh, including you, Sam. And if you'll help me get the rest of the crew on board uh, from Fort Stewart, if we can get everybody on board for this next weekend, this next uh, Tuesday, then uh, we can do the uh, Fort Stewart show. This next Tuesday, can you uh, give me a hand that. with getting the getting the guys on board? The rest of your uh, Port Stewart mates. Be happy to. Be happy to. Okay. I'd love to hear them all again. And I'll then, contact uh, every one of them this week. Okay, and then uh, I'll see about how figuring out some way to get either the. <clears throat> I don't know if I can post the uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, the printed out versions, if I can post it along with the show or not. I'll see if I can, if they'll give me enough space to do that. If not, then I'll post uh, uh, a hot link to it some way. But then we'll get uh, all the audio uh, up and get uh, all of the Fort Stewart folks uh, on board for this uh, uh, for this next Tuesday and then get uh, Mr. Tomes to come back again. And uh, I would like to get uh, Stuart Rhodes... Uh, on 
Uh, I still haven't heard back from him. I'd like to get him on. And then, uh, of course, if there's anybody that uh, that you guys would like to uh, to hear from, then send me a uh, an email or a PM, and uh, we'll do our best to get them uh, on the show. Or if you want to contact them and ask if they want to come on the show, then, uh, then that would be great, too. Just uh, let me know, and we'll do our best to get uh, them on the show. But as it stands right now, what we'll do is we'll have the uh, the Fort Stewart show this next Tuesday, and then I'll talk to Mr. Tomes again and see if he wants to come on uh, the week after that. <clears throat> All right. Uh, let's see. Get the one caller. I'll give them another chance to see if they wanted to come on. Area code five one two three seven six. You're on the air? All right. <clears throat> well, uh, Pop, I mean, uh, yeah, Pop uh, looked up the pre-reg numbers, he said, for the uh, ARC shoot this coming weekend. says says uh, it's up to 32, and uh, I imagine it's going to be quite a few more than that. Now, we've got room for 50. So uh, if you're going to attend... Uh, the ARC shoot this weekend. The best thing you can do is go to rwva.org. That's the homepage. Look on the, the uh, top uh, left-hand uh, of the page. You'll see Appleseed. Click on that. that will give you a drop-down menu. On the drop-down menu, go to Schedule. On the Schedule, it's the first one on the list. Go to Austin uh, on the uh, 12th and 13th. And just to the right of that are two hot links. Go to Register. Click on register and get pre-registered for the event. <clears throat> All right, uh, I'll have to find out uh, what happened to Mr. Tom's, and uh, and then we'll plan on having the Fort Stewart show this next week. Uh, Sam's going to help me get that done. Uh, Techris is going to help get the uh, Appleseed Virtual Muster Night uh, up and running, and uh, and then we'll see you guys uh, this next uh, Tuesday night. Thanks, everyone, for coming and listening to the show. And uh, let me remind you again, too, that uh, I'll be glad to accept some volunteers for setting up the Thursday night shows. So if you have any interest in that, uh, be sure and send me an email or a PM uh, because we could certainly use some help uh, on setting those shows up. Uh, so, until next Tuesday night, uh, God bless everyone involved in the program, and uh, we'll see you again uh, Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Central. Bye, Pop. Bye, uh, Sam. God bless you guys. We'll see the rest of you guys at the Austin Rifle Club uh, this coming weekend. <laughs>